Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Oh, hey. There's people there. I wasn't so sure at the beginning because uh, a lot of people are sick right now. If you are new to Sweden, we call this a vabuary. And that is because uh, when you look after your kids, you take time off work, it's called vabbing, or vab is the actual word, but we say vabbing. But, um, so it's called vabuary. It's very funny, but it's not very funny if you're a parent. It's, uh, it sucks. <laughs> um, so me and Matthew are single today <laughs> in the front row. Uh, wife and kids are both at home. Um, but I'm happy to be here this morning. It's much easier for me to... to uh, <laughs> do things in church when my kids aren't here. So it's been a nice, peaceful morning for me, actually. It's been really nice. Um, but yeah, I, I get the, the pleasure of finishing off our series, as Matthew spoke about just now. We're drawing it to a close, this series all in, holy surrendered, holy alive. And so I, I wanted to kind of look back at what we as a leadership team set out to do with this series. I think it's always important to think, you know, did we check that off? <laughs> So we wanted to be challenged as we began this year as followers of Jesus. And pastors, Matthew and Christelle, they felt firmly that if we're going to wholly experience life in Christ, we need to wholly surrender our lives to him. So it was inspired, as Matthew said, by Jesus' words in Matthew 16. And we can see that the key to inhabiting the resurrection life of Jesus here and now in Malmo as it is in heaven is in our surrendering. So these past few Sundays, we've been exploring the ways in which Jesus is inviting us to go all in with him. So I pray that you have begun this year uh, with renewed hope. I, I sense renewed hope for, for my future and I hope for your future that authentic transformation is actually possible because it is, it really is. If, if we are willing to do one thing, as Dallas Willard put it really well, he urges us to arrange our lives around the kind of practices and life of Jesus led to be constantly receiving power and love from the Father. A lot of what emotionally healthy spirituality is about is that arrangement, orientating ourselves around the ways of Jesus. And that, the knowledge of that, that that transformation is really possible, and seeing people experience it, seeing people testifying week after week now of how God is transforming and doing a work in their heart, a deep, a deep transformation, that encourages me greatly, and I hope it does you too. So far in this series, we talked about the need to surrender our attention by being with him, our appetite by tuning into him, our false self by finding our true self in him, our rhythms by resting in him. And today I want to wrap things up by speaking on our ultimate need to surrender our will by having a heart for him. So today's reading is the passage from which we take our series key scriptures. I'm circling back if you like. And so if you have your Bibles, you can take them out now. We're going to read from Matthew 16, 21, but it's on the screen if you prefer that. So 16, 21, 
can read here. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. We can stop right there, actually, and continue a little bit later. So Peter has just done something unthinkable. We might miss this, but he's rebuked his rabbi, which was a pretty shocking thing to do in that culture at that time. You just didn't question your rabbi. That's why you made him your rabbi. (laughs) You know he knows better, right? And so Jesus responds with a little bit of a burn that can, on the face of it, seem quite harsh, um, but is actually entirely appropriate. Bear in mind that Peter, if you read the preceding chapters, he's just witnessed Jesus do miracles, right? He's seen him feed the thousands. He's given sight to the blind. He walked on water. And he's just, in the preceding verses, confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. So he's seen and he believes that this Jesus guy is the real deal. He's a believer and he's seen the power of God at work. Now, he probably thinks that he is all in with Jesus. And like the idea of new life in Christ is to us, following Jesus for Peter was a very attractive appeal. But there is always one fundamental problem with being in any committed relationship. Any guesses? You (laughs) or me. We are the problem. The issue of self cannot be avoided. Now, we tend to enter into relationship with, whether we recognize it or not, selfish expectations. But any relationship worth its salt costs something. You cannot have it all your way in a relationship. Right? Peter had yet to truly surrender himself to Jesus despite his confession of faith. And it was made abundantly clear when he rebuked Jesus. You could say that the honeymoon period was over. Reality was now kicking in of what it was going to cost. You see, there's, a, there's a, a lesson here, I think, for all of us. that We cannot just think that we can just add Christianity to our life. You know, just put it on top. I've got my life, and I just add Christianity, and everything's all good. If we do, we will misuse it to serve our purposes. It will become maybe some type of behavioral management or self-improvement on our terms, right? Peter didn't realize it, but he harbored his own agenda of what following Jesus would be for him. And he, like many Jews, he was waiting for a warrior king in the mold of David. So he had these expectations that we learn were not realistic. Yet even four times Jesus warned the disciples, it's not about a kingdom here on earth. Yet they didn't get it. As Shettle spoke about, our false self is driven by human concern, the concerns of this world. And that is why Jesus warned Peter, 
You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I actually didn't read that bit, so I should do that now. <laughs> I cut, I stopped a wee bit short, so I'm going to finish that. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That's better. <laughs> so he warned Peter here, here, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now he is rebuking something that he recognized. He recognized that this, this is the same idea that he was tempted with in the wilderness. When Jesus went out to the wilderness, he had that same temptation, but he denied it. Three times he denied it in the wilderness. Remember that story, Matthew spoke about it when we talked about surrendering our appetite. The, the enemy came to tempt him and suggested that he should, he should do things according to his own will. He should worship himself, that he shouldn't follow the Father's will. It was like a song being sung in his head, it's my life. Remember that song? It's my life. And, and Jesus was like, no, 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 I'm not singing that song. First of all, it's a terrible song. Secondly, it's not my life. My life is a gift from the Father, and so I give it back to him to live his life. That's what Jesus did. But Peter was struggling with this. He hadn't quite got this yet. And this is why he says, get behind me, Satan, because Jesus is like, I recognize that spirit. He's not saying to Peter, get behind me. He's saying that, that thought, that, that spirit, get behind me. He recognized it. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So when he says, get behind me, Satan, he's not suggesting that Peter is demon-possessed, Okay but that he is thinking in service of his own will and not God's. You know, Satanism, after all, is not the worship of Satan, common misconception, but it's the worship of self. That idolatry that we are all guilty of is the spirit of Antichrist. That is why the scripture says you cannot serve two masters. It's that clear cut. You either follow me or you follow yourself. Peter is a stumbling block because his will is getting in the way with God's will. There is a war of wills in our hearts. We've got to recognize that. We've got to realize that there's a fight going on between the flesh, the old man, the old self, the false self, whatever you want to call it, and the spirit, the new man, the new self, the new life. And we need to decide if we resist the spirit or if we surrender his spirit. The French philosopher Rousseau, maybe some of you are familiar with his works, a bit of a nasty guy actually, if you ask me. <laughs> he says that, I, I believe he was wrong, right? He, one of his main things was that he said that we are, we are fundamentally good. He believed that in us we were fundamentally good. I, I say we are not fundamentally good. We are fundamentally sinful in our old self in the flesh. Ephesians 4.22 talks about putting off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Basically, there's a reprogramming that needs to happen on the inside. In all of us that want to be disciples of Jesus, there's a change that needs to take place. We can, we can come as we are, but we can't stay as we are, right? And this, this idea, this thinking is not accepted by the modern thinkers who teach we should follow our will, follow your desires, and reject anyone or anything who challenges your right to that freedom. This is, this is what's being preached in the spirit of the world. You can see it all over. And so they're basically saying to our children, saying to children of the coming generations, you are special. You get to decide your identity. You get to decide your ethics, your morals, and your meaning. And anyone who says otherwise is oppressing you. That is the message in today's world. And let me tell you, that is a destructive idea. It's wreaking havoc in our world. And it's leading to an epidemic of issues in our young generation as they are left to self-initiate, to make their own way in the world. You know, life is just a... Um, take whatever you want, go whichever direction. They're not being guided in life. And so the reality of that is that uh, young people are having to fend for themselves in a cruel and confusing world. But Jesus left us with a very clear blueprint to finding your true self. A lot of talk about true self. I like to lean on what Jesus says there, life in the spirit. As we pick up the passage again, Matthew 16, 24 to 28. Let me see if I can get it right this time. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I'll stop there on purpose this time. <laughs> what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is urging Peter here to surrender his old false self because it's not worth it. The true self is so precious. Do not deceive yourself, Peter, and be left with nothing. Our old false self, it's the ego. It needs social validation. I mean, you can read about this all over. We need validation. We're social beings. And it's that striving that Shetel taught us about, that we strive for that validation from people around us. And perhaps Jesus saw how Peter, how his heart was hardening, and that would lead to his denial of him. When Jesus was taken captive, when the people turned on him, he abandoned his confession of faith. He was tested, and his words of faith were choked out by the concerns of this life. Jesus knew that for Peter, a deeper transformation 
was needed in order for his faith to bear lasting fruit. That's why we're so into this emotionally healthy spirituality. We recognize that there's a deeper transformation that needs to take place in us. We cannot have a shallow faith because otherwise we will be tested and we will be found wanting. How do we surrender our will and get free from the old self? Thank you for asking. Well, first off, this is pretty key. You have to want it. You have to want to change. The passage says, if anyone would take up their cross. That's a decision there. That's on our our side to actually motion towards God. Our will or our heart is what makes us unique as humans amongst all the species. It's the executive center of our human self. And the amazing thing about our Father in heaven is that he hears our hearts and he actually responds to even the slightest motion towards him. I'll give an example of this, actually, because a few weeks ago, I mean, I'm involved in a lot of stuff in church. So sometimes I can be in church and I can get a little bit distracted. Things can bug me. Maybe there's a little buzzing in the sound, these things, and it can throw me off from worshiping. And I was sitting there frustrated at the front row, and I was just like, oh, man, that was annoying me so bad. And I was just, yeah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not in them. <laughs> I'm not worshiping. And I was like, oh, this is not good. And I just felt... Holy Spirit say, you're not singing loud enough. And that was true. So I raised my voice, I sang at the top of my lungs, and all of a sudden I just felt the presence of God in the room. (laughs) I was like, okay, you've been here the whole time. I was so distracted because I was singing under my breath, and I was was listening to this buzzing noise, and it, it, it got my focus. So when I raised my voice, it drowned out whatever was bugging me, and I could focus in on God. That little motion towards God got me into the presence of God. That's what God is looking for sometimes. He's, 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 his spirit is, is roaming, looking for those that are, are, are um, looking for him, and he responds, a heart that motions towards him. Psalm thirty-four fifteen says it better. It says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Peter, as we know, denied Christ and was left in disarray, believing that he had lost everything. No doubt he was tormented by the fact that he doubted Jesus and his abandonment of him when he most needed him. His dear friend, I mean, the scripture says that he wept, so we know that he was distraught. He loved Jesus. So could you just imagine the anguish in his heart upon realizing his corrupt heart had robbed him? If only I had believed Jesus, if I had just backed him, even when I didn't understand what he was saying. I remember listening to a testimony once of um, a pastor whose son had uh, leukemia and was, I I can't remember how it ended, but one of the things that he got so convicted about when he realized that his son might not live is all the times that he had denied his son, all the times then he was like, I'm too busy, or he he was angry because he was busy or stressed, and all these things that just came flooding back to him, like thinking, if I could just get back that time, 
with my kid. I think Peter had similar feelings, right? Why did I say that? Why didn't I back him? He didn't realize how corrupt his heart was. He didn't realize how his ego was getting in the way. Sometimes we need those moments of crises to realize the condition of our heart. Now, we know the story has a good turn. I say a good turn because there's a few other events that happen. Um, so the, the resurrected Jesus, as we know, he meets him and the disciples by the shores of Galilee, one of my favorite scenes, such a brilliant one, and he helps them make another miraculous catch because that's what Jesus does. And he cooks them breakfast. Love that. <laughs> I'd love to have breakfast with Jesus. One of it's like a full English or, I don't know, maybe more Jewish, I don't know. <laughs> the conversation that takes place between Peter and Jesus is called the, the reinstatement of Peter. And a really interesting thing here is that it's kind of a mirror of the three times that he was asked if he knew Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus. And Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And three times he confessed his love. It was like there was an open heart surgery taking place. Three times you, you chose the self. And now three times I put my heart into you. He was doing a transformation in his heart there. That was the restoration, I believe, in Peter. That three times he was able to turn from his sinful decision in his heart and and invite God into his, his heart once again. That his old self was being replaced with his new true self. And the interesting thing is at the end of that conversation, he caps it off again with the statement, just like he did in Matthew 16, follow me. Now Peter knows what he didn't realize before, that you have to surrender your will. Otherwise your faith is just lip service. This was a discipleship moment taking place right there. I mean, the, this is the ultimate. Have you ever heard the tell, show, do? Three steps, you ever heard that? So a lot of parents, they say, well, if you want to teach your kid how to brush their teeth, you need to tell them how to brush their teeth, you need to show them how to brush their teeth, and then you need to let them do it. That's a, a really common like, learning mechanism. Well, Jesus did that pretty perfectly, right? He told them that he was going to go to the cross. Then he showed them by going to the cross. And then he said, now it's your turn, Peter. Discipleship moment. Second one is, uh, if you're following that, you have to live a cruciform life. So you've got to want it, and you have to live a cruciform life. So Jesus was very clear with Peter upon his restoration that he would be led where he did not want to go. We know what he was talking about. <laughs> Our life should be an intentional denial of the self. The cross was the ultimate act of self-denial. I mean, Jesus was put to death for something that he didn't even do. Scripture tells us that there is no greater act of love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's the ultimate act of self-denial gave up his life. And it was the fruit of his decision to not live according to his will, but the Father's. 
that he made back in the desert, those t- way back when, when three times he was tempted, and he chose another way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's really morbid. <laughs> wait, you're looking like, wait, I didn't sign up for this. What's the let's talk about death? Nisa, lock the doors. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, Paul warns us in Romans 8.13 that if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, we will live. So the key to surrender, as far as I can see it, that brings life is the way of self-denial. That's not really a seller, is it? It's like, hey, come learn about the way of self-denial. It's not going to be a New York best time <laughs> bestseller as a book title. The idea of self-denial can feel a little bit abstract sometimes, I think. Like, if I had to say to you, okay, so give me some examples of putting the flesh to death, uh, putting on the spirit. What does that even look like to you? Like, what, what, what would you come up with? Like, how, how, do, how have you practiced self-denial this week? You might struggle and think, well, I guess I kept my mouth shut when my colleague was being irritating. So that's kind of self-denial. I could have said something, but I didn't. Something like that. You might struggle otherwise to come up with real examples, especially something that you could compare to what Peter was being asked. But certainly, as a husband and a father, it's not actually, if I think about it, that hard to think of examples where I have to, had to deny myself for the sake of my family. Children, they're very explicit in their demands. They let you know how they want you to, <laughs> to deny yourself. They're always asking, 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 asking. And so by default, you have to deny your own will and your own wants sometimes for the good of your kids. Now, my wife, she tends to be a little bit more subtle, but still she would argue adequately understood in her requests. <laughs> I'm going to read between the lines sometimes. Uh, but the, the reality is you cannot be a father or a husband and be selfish. People have tried and they failed. Sometimes I try and I fail. <laughs> Every good relationship requires a cost to be paid to make it work. Particularly with marriage and, and parenting, because you know what? They're actually a calling. They're not just like Christianity. They're not something you can just add to your life. Oh, it'd be, it'd be nice to be married. You know, I add that to my life. So I got my life and then I got my marriage, my life, and then my kids. No, 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 no. We know full, full well that is a major disruption to your life. Your life cannot remain the same when you get married or have kids. Yet somehow, for some reason, we can approach faith that way. I'm going to continue living my way. I'm just going to add Christianity in the top there. You don't realize that all of those things, our relationship with God, a follower of Christ, our marriage, or being a parent, they're callings. Callings have responsibilities. Callings have a cost. It's not like buying a new car. You don't just add it to your life, put it in the garage. This requires something of you. Jesus taught the disciple three things. It's a bit of a theme, right? You're picking up on this. Free, free, free. First one, deny yourself. There's a you inside you that you don't want to be. Trust me. 
Your future needs you to be able to say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. If you don't deny your false self, you will deny your true self in Christ. That's what's at stake. Denying yourself is not an attractive appeal, right? But there is something strangely satisfying about suffering with Christ than living comfortably for self. It is. I've tried it. Doing something for others. You know, when you really don't want to do it, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to sacrifice this because this is the right thing to do. Strangely satisfying. It gives you a strange joy, <laughs> even though it's costing you something. So deny yourself was number one. Number two, he tells us to take up your cross, to put to death your false self. Carrying your cross, I'm afraid that's, that's not just like putting up with a leaking roof, right? It's, it's not, oh, you know, my boss, he's obnoxious, but it's my cross to bear. <laughs> Sometimes we say stuff like that. It's become like in the vernacular that people say that kind of things, right? That is not what the cross is about. Sorry, we've lost track of what the cross was. It was a pretty bad thing, right? Jesus didn't say, follow me and I will teach you some life hacks to deal with your unruly colleagues. That's not what he said. He said, no, if, he said, follow me and I'll take a wrecking ball to your ego. Yay. <laughs> so totally different thing. The cross is death to life. It's pretty serious. It's a total demolition and renovation of the heart. It's been ripped out and you've installed a whole new house. It's not just a leaking roof. Taking up your cross has nothing to do with your circumstances, but it has everything to do with your heart. Number three, so we had deny yourself, take up your cross. Number three is follow me. Notice Jesus said that you could gain the, the world but lose your soul. So he's not denying here that there are benefits to following your own ways. He's just challenging the price. Is it really worth it? Many a people, a person, after a supposedly successful life, has asked themselves that question at the end. Was it really worth it? The fame, the money, was it really worth it? What good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Following Jesus doesn't make sense sometimes, let's be honest. It can be countercultural. You can lose friends. It can be offensive. It can be ridiculed. But every act of self-denial is an opportunity to discover your true self. It's not about losing yourself, though. It's actually about returning to your true self. Fully functioning within God's will with a clear identity. No confusion there. It's a clarity that comes with living in God's will and purposes. Your new self is a transformed heart. To live within a single-mindedness, I find that really attractive. And the confusion and the duplicity of life that you're just getting pulled in so many different directions to have that single-mindedness, to know why I'm on earth. A joyous devotion to God and his will. To want what he wants. That would be nice. You know, not to just have to keep denying myself, but actually want what God wants. So I can just, I can just live righteously because I want the things that he wants. 
That's a bit of a progression. That's a maturing as a disciple of Jesus. To serve God and others because of him. And I believe that, I believe, my friends, that is what it means to be wholly alive. I want to invite the band up now. Come to a close. So the old self, it looks for validation from the world. But this new self is validated by what Jesus did on the cross. If I need validation, I don't need to look around and say, hey, who, who can validate me? I can just point to Jesus on the cross and say, that guy, he validates me. Jesus validates those who have surrendered to him, who've laid down their life for him. Peter went from a heart that said, no way to complete surrender to his way. So much so that he even followed Jesus to his own crucifixion. We're all here today and we're on a journey, very different paths, I'm sure. We're on a journey to surrender. That's the question that's being asked of us. We're all being challenged like Peter. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Are you willing to put your life in my hands, truly? Now, maybe you are here this morning and you are yet to verbally commit your life to Jesus. But you know that something needs to change and you believe Jesus is the answer. There's something about this Jesus guy. I think that's a good thing to, to try out. I would say you're probably right. <laughs> I want to invite you to come forward for prayer as we go back into worship shortly. Or perhaps you're, you're, you're still trying to do this journey on your terms. So you, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. You confess your faith. Maybe you've even been baptized. You know Jesus, and you feel like you'll never turn your back on him. But there is some fear of really trusting God in all areas of your life. And I would say to that that God understands that. He understands your fears. But he wants you to know his peace this morning. He wants you to know that you can trust him. He wants you to test him in this. I invite you forward also for prayer as we go back into worship. You know, the thing about surrender is that our will is basically our consent. Coming forward for prayer now, this morning, it's like an act of consent. It's saying to God, I want you, I, I, I want what you want for my life. I've tried everything else. Now I want what you want for my life. God hears the heart and he responds. If you would motion towards him this morning, maybe by the act of coming forward for prayer, he will move towards you. He responds. I just want to ask us all to now to stand as we close in prayer and go back into worship. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here this morning. You blessed us with your presence, Lord. Lord, I ask at this time that you would search us, search our hearts, Lord. 
bring to the surface anything that needs repentance and change, Lord. Lord, our desire is that you would transform our hearts, Lord. That we can say like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, we pray that our small act of surrender this morning through your grace, that it would grow into an abandonment to you as we learn to trust you more and more with our lives, Lord, with a greater part of our lives, Lord, that we may find a contentment in you and ultimately that we would learn to participate in the new life that you have called us to. Lord, may we go from spectators to your goodness, to your faithfulness, to agents of your will, that we would maybe go from a place of exhaustion, of just resisting sin, trying to do good, trying to right, do right, that striving lifestyle, that we would go from that, Lord, to a lifestyle of righteousness as we are formed into your likeness, as we become a different person, that it's no longer I that live, but Christ in us. We thank you, Lord, that that kind of transformation is possible. We believe in it, Lord. We're seeing it, the first fruits, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bear fruit in people's lives that are here this morning, Lord. We give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for this life that you have called us to. We worship you, Lord. Amen.